Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC-FM and WTIC.com. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by the Commissioner of the State Department of Housing, Yvonne Klein. Good morning to you. Good morning. It's great to be here. Tell us first about the purview of the Housing Department. Some areas are obvious, but some may not be. Yes, um, I'm happy to talk about housing and all aspects of our department, so thank you for having me here again this morning. Uh, Believe it or not, the Department of Housing is five years old, and it's a relatively new and young department, and the governor recognized uh, early on in his uh, administration how important housing is, not only to uh, individuals and families, but also to economic recovery uh, in Connecticut. So the department... Uh, has a number of different programs, uh, which, as you mentioned, people could well imagine that we would have. We have programs uh, for development of housing, uh, funding to build affordable housing in our department, as well as support programs for families and individuals, which include Section 8 vouchers, rental assistance, and other support services within the department. But but we also do a couple of other things. Uh, we do have uh, recovery, resiliency, and crumbling foundations within our department. And recovery, uh, we have the funding that we received from the federal government to assist in our recovery from Superstorm Sandy. We also have funding to assist the uh, evacuees uh, from Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, We have resiliency funding that we received in a competition, a national competition, uh, to make our coastline more resilient uh, against future storms. And then, of course, funding for crumbling foundations, which would include testing funding and some capital funding, uh, which would all be state funding, uh, to aid folks in getting their homes tested and in the repair of the and replacement of those crumbling foundations. So we uh, are home focused and uh, support focused. The state has gone to great lengths to increase the number of affordable housing units available. But there's still a need, isn't there? Well, yes, there's still a need. And I'm proud to say that under this governor, uh, we've made unprecedented progress in building affordable and the development of affordable housing. Uh, So overall, uh, we have have created or we have in some form of construction or have funded over 20,000 units of affordable housing, which is, you know, we haven't seen this kind of uh, production in ever, I think, in the state of Connecticut, and which is a clear, um, uh, you know, which is very clear uh, progress. And this also comes with an economic impact of a, over a billion invested by the state and 
Chaffa uh, with a $2.4 billion uh, coming in from other sources of funding. What does affordable housing mean? I'm guessing it means something different in Connecticut as opposed to South Carolina. Well, it's all based on, well, actually, yes and no. So the definition that we use is a HUD definition, which is a federal definition, which would apply to all of our 50 states. And that is, if you are paying more than 30% of your income on housing, you can't afford where you live or you're paying too much. So that's Basic, our basic rule of thumb. And then uh, where things differ, which you are right, is based on your area or state median income, which you do see discrepancies. Does Connecticut have some of the, the priciest housing in the country, I'm guessing, just because of the cost of living? Well, we do have it. Connecticut is an expensive state uh, in which to live, and we do have some of the more expensive uh, housing uh, in the country. And if you look toward, of course, Fairfield County. It seems the thinking has changed over the years in terms of how to construct affordable housing. And now within the same development, maybe, mixing various incomes as opposed to all low income as maybe we saw in the 60s. Yeah, uh, that is a welcome change. So what we saw uh, were developments uh, that were built for all all low income individuals and families someplace, maybe in the cities, and we saw the negative impact and the negative results of that. What we are seeing... uh, Really, which is more standard today, uh, and we saw this in the late uh, uh, part of the 20th century and then the early part of the 21st century, is mixed income housing and also mixed use housing. So it's it's healthier for community, it's healthier for families and individuals, it's healthier financially. So taking uh, and and this is where uh, I think you see. People have concern where you're creating in their uh, municipalities the poor side of town. You're not creating that when you have mixed income housing. Uh, you're putting housing where it uh, uh, multifamily housing where it should be in this in downtowns, um, in commercial areas uh, where you would see mixed use, where you have retail and and office space along with housing that would also include market rate housing as well as affordable housing. You mentioned the number of units the state has helped to support, but by no means is it only a state effort. There are private developers who are clamoring to be involved in a number of these projects. So, yes, it's not only a state effort, and I'm glad you raised that issue because you also said we still have, you know, we still have a need. So, in spite of all of our progress, we do need tens of thousands of more affordable housing units. And we do see private developers uh, building mixed income developments. So there are developers that understand uh, the need and are willing to build uh, these units uh, without any subsidy from the state. Connecticut became the first state to end chronic homelessness among veterans. Uh, Tell us how that was achieved and and maybe provide a definition, I guess, of chronic homelessness. That would be helpful as well. So chronic homelessness is actually uh, what you would think is someone who has been homeless for more than a year or has had four episodes of homelessness that total uh, a year or more and has a disability. 
we were very proud uh, to be the first state in the nation to do this, and especially uh, for our veterans. What greater population could we serve, right? So um, this came about through a lot of hard work, and a number of uh, co- people collaborating, a number of providers and state agencies coming to the table and working together to achieve this important goal. And then I'm proud to say that uh, several months later, we effectively ended veteran homelessness and uh, were certified by the federal government in achieving that important goal. Are there special programs geared toward veterans to, to help find them a place to live? Well, there are specific programs for veterans, but essentially we change the way we actually handle our homeless population. And rather than manage homelessness, this allowed us really to look at what we were doing in Connecticut and do it very differently. So rather than manage homelessness, we focused on ending homelessness. So I'm proud to say, and the really the federal benchmark is that you house uh, individuals or families in 90 days or less. And we were able to develop a system that rapidly identifies veterans and now anyone who is homeless and then quickly places those individuals or families into housing. Now the state is working on ending chronic homelessness among the general population as well. So we are. And we were proud to have matched all of our chronically homeless individuals to housing. And we continue to maintain low numbers in terms of uh, chronically individuals. And the whole effort there, when you think about it, and when you think about somebody being homeless for a year or more, we are developing and we've developed a system where we can prevent someone from becoming chronically homeless. So this is all important that we're identifying people and we're placing them into permanent housing. Is there sometimes an interim step where they have to be placed in in shelters or something before they can get permanent housing? Uh, If we don't have uh, housing, uh, they may spend time in a homeless shelter. We do have people in our homeless shelters. But now all of those individuals and all of those families, we are working with them on matching them to a housing resource. So it's it's very different than just managing folks who, well, you know, I live at a homeless shelter. That is not happening. You're coming to a homeless shelter. You're uh, being assisted with if you need documents. Uh, we do assess uh, the needs of the individuals or families so that we can appropriately match them with any services they may or may not need in some cases. Um, and then match match them to housing. So your your time in a, a homeless shelter is moving forward and working toward permanent housing, not sort of stagnation. It seems that this is a problem that you can't say, okay, we've solved it and then move on because there are, are constantly new people who are becoming homeless for a variety of reasons. Well, uh and hopefully those are brief, those episodes are brief. And there will always be homeless uh, families and individuals. They may hit, you know, it's a, a tough time in their life. And we hear these stories where an illness has taken hold and they can't afford, you know, people can't afford their mortgage. So circumstances happen which in which certain individuals and families may be facing homelessness. 
Uh, but again, our role here is to quickly move them, and number one, prevent them from being homeless if we can provide them uh, with a re rental assistance or money to fix their cars so they could get to work and keep their job. So if in any way we can divert them from homelessness, uh, we focus our efforts on that. Should someone become homeless, we focus our efforts on then matching them to a permanent housing resource. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Yvonne Klein. She is the commissioner of the State Department of Housing, a relatively new state agency. What advice would you have for someone who maybe sees down the road that they could potentially become homeless? Maybe they, they've lost a job. They, they have mounting medical bills. Is the first call to a place like 211? Absolutely. Call 211 and uh, someone who may be needing help uh, with perhaps money for job training or, you know, again, looking at those diversion services that 211 could help with so that we could prevent them from entering into the homeless system. So they would uh, meet with the caseworker and we would help them and steer them to the appropriate um, support. This is an effort that is made possible by a partnership with a lot of private groups as well. I'm thinking of the Connecticut Coalition to End Homelessness and others. Yes, and we don't do this uh, on our own. We certainly are working with other state agencies. Uh, the Connecticut Coalition uh, to End Homelessness is another uh, nonprofit that we do work with, uh, the Partnership for Strong Communities. I, you know, if I start naming people, I'm going to leave somebody <laughs> out. Uh, but the important thing here is, and actually, uh, I'm, I'm very flattered when we speak with other states who talk about the partnership and how jealous they are of the partnerships that we have formed and how well we work together. Uh, but again, we're united and we're committed to ending homelessness in the state of Connecticut and have ensured that we come together and in meaningful ways to set systems in place to get us to achieve those goals. In the new state budget that took effect July 1st, there is $600,000 to assist people who have come to Connecticut from the U.S. Virgin Islands and most notably Puerto Rico after the hurricane devastation from last fall. And, and tell us how they are doing and what that money is going to be used to, to uh, how it's going to be used to assist them. So the uh, funding that we do have in this year's budget is $600,000. Uh, we've broken that down in three ways, uh, $250,000 for rental uh, assistance and first month's rent, $300,000 for diversion, and $50,000 for case managers. And we've been able, over the past several months, uh, we've been able to help approximately 200 families uh, find housing. And we've also helped folks uh, go back home to Puerto Rico. And when we talk about, again, that diversion word, which comes up an awful lot, uh, really important support for people. That's where sending folks back, if they wanted to go back to Puerto Rico, that funding would come in, diversion you know, to send them back home. And this is all preventing folks from becoming homeless in Connecticut. And our caseworkers have done a great job in helping these families uh, with their job training, uh, should they need it, uh, you know, getting a, a job, 
And so we've been fortunate to have been able to help these families. Again, we didn't do this all by ourselves. We came together as agencies, as state agencies. We came together also with FEMA and then other local uh, not-for-profits that work within the communities to help these folks in their search for permanency in Connecticut. It seems there's no one-size-fits-all solution here because, as you noted, there are some people who want to go back home if they have adequate housing on the island and others who want to start a new life in Connecticut. Sure. And we're happy to start folks, uh, start a new life in Connecticut and and helping these families find permanent housing here, jobs, getting children settled in schools. We've been very proud of the work that we've been able to do. Moving on to another topic, the issue of failing foundations uh, mainly affecting the eastern part of the state, but there are there are other areas as well. Uh, what is the housing department's role in that? So our department is is there, and we're fortunate to have you know is there to play a supportive role largely and an advocacy role. Uh, we have our homeowner advocate is housed in the Department of Housing, and that's Lena Holleran. So I'm putting her name out there uh, for folks to reach out to her if they are have any questions or, in, or are in need of assistance. Um, and our role also, we do have some funding from our CDBG Small Cities funding uh, for testing of foundations, uh, but also we, we play a role uh, that we need to play in terms of funding, that the funding comes to our department uh, that would help repair and restore, replace these foundations, uh, which will be distributed through the captive insurance company. So we sort of have a technical role as well. And the hope is that there will be funding from a number of sources. There's a surcharge on homeowners policies now that was approved this past legislative session. And a lot of of officials are still holding out hope that the federal government is going to provide some sort of relief down the road. This is, uh, in my opinion, uh, a federal government issue. As we saw the federal government step up, both FEMA and HUD, when we had Superstorm Sandy and other disasters, uh, this is a naturally occurring mineral, and this is, in many of our minds, a natural disaster. And we still hold on to hope. We did meet with uh, the secretary of HUD, uh, Secretary Carson, several weeks ago. He heard our concerns. He toured a home, so he heard some very personal stories. And we're still awaiting word as to whether or not HUD will be able to send Connecticut some federal funding uh, to assist these homeowners. It seems one of the challenges is we... We have estimates, but we don't have a, a hard number on how many homeowners are affected, in part because some are afraid to, to come forward because your the value of your house can plummet. So we've seen uh, home values uh, significantly decrease here. And uh, what we tell people is you should get your home tested. You should know. And uh, we do encourage the testing so that the homes can be repaired once the captive is is up and running, uh, which is targeted for mid-October. Uh, people will be able to make an application and begin the process of repair. So we are uh, focused on looking forward and ensuring these people get help. So it's a very difficult issue. 
And we've seen home, you know, I receive emails of people not being able to sell their homes. They're not going to be able to sell their homes until they face this issue and get it repaired because now we actually have assistance in the state of Connecticut to help folks move forward. We talked about the legislation to to help people with failing foundations. What else was on your radar this past session? What other legislative wins did you have? So uh, we certainly had some, you know, I certainly think that the uh, legislation to establish the homeowner advocate within the Department of Housing was certainly a legislative win. Uh, But our our work uh, that we've done this year, we've been very focused uh, within our fair housing working groups, and I'm certainly proud to co-chair with Representative Roland Lamar from New Haven. And it's a, a collaborative group with a number of of housing advocates, experts, attorneys, uh, you know, CCM. I mean, just folks, a very broad membership. Uh, CHRO, so just a broad membership of folks coming together. And the purpose of this working group, as you could probably discern from the title, is to work hard to move Connecticut from being one of the most segregated states in the nation to move away from that. So we proposed, even though we did not have legislative wins, but we did propose legislation to move in that direction with making some changes to the Zoning Enabling Act and, of course, uh, Uh, proposing inclusionary zoning so that as we talked about uh, the mixed income units, uh, this would continue uh, to assure that without government help and within 169 municipalities that when a developer comes forward to propose multifamily housing, that some percentage of those units are deed restricted as affordable units. Because in some communities now, you would argue that zoning regulations are maybe overly restrictive and designed to to keep some folks out of some parts of town? I would, yes. And we would point to very uh, uh, good facts uh, that would support that uh, argument. Yes. And in some municipalities, we have about 28 municipalities out of 169 that already have some form of inclusionary zoning regulations. Uh, We have approximately 22 to 24 municipalities that do not allow any form of multifamily housing. Yes, our zoning uh, regulations in the state of Connecticut were mostly formulated in the early 1900s. And they are designed and built to exclude rather than to include. Is it a challenge to find that balance between, you know, being inclusive and giving cities and towns home rule? We we love our, our local rule in Connecticut. We have 169 different governments. We love our local control, but we are one Connecticut, right? So uh, it is a balance, uh, but we share in this one thing. We share in this uh, one thing of uh, being one of the most segregated states in the nation. So we do need to come together and work on changing our course and changing literally the complexion of our 169 municipalities. So I know there will be a new administration next session, but... We should look for this to be back in some form, would you say? Yes, we actually are meeting. Our Fair Housing Working Group continues to meet, and we will be bringing forward, I would say, approximately eight pieces of legislation for next year. 
She is Connecticut Commissioner of Housing, Yvonne Klein. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.